Hello and welcome to the What's For Dinner show. My name's Lynn and my aim, along with my guests, is to explore how our food experiences have influenced our lives as well as our waistlines. I'm also joined on the show by Michael O'Halloran for our regular feature, The Nugget of Knowledge, where we focus on a particular food topic. It could be a deep dive into a particular item of food, a trawl through the latest food news or a discussion about a food trend. There's nine and a half thousand year old chickpea remains have been found in the Middle East. Remains of chickpeas? Yeah, I guess probably in a jar or something like that. Found huddled together in a jar. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wow. So they've been around a long time. Yeah. yeah, I don't suppose they were, you know, excavating burial grounds for the chickpeas, were they? But as you say... There's, there's probably evidence to suggest that they were you know, uh, a part of the society at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not sure if they were a member of the society, but people used to eat them. <laughs> I don't know like, how much I don't the suppose how active they would have been <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in, in the local debate, debates yeah, that I were going know, on. Yeah. Yeah. Running the council, <laughs> such like. And as well as discussing the delights of the humble chickpea, uh, this episode... Michael and I are also taste testing some yummy chickpea snacks. So hang around to the end and you can hear what we think of them. My guest for this episode is an ex-metropolitan police officer who spent much of her career investigating child exploitation crime and working to improve the safety of young people in our communities. She retired a few years ago, but was quickly enticed back into employment by an opportunity to live and work in the Falkland Islands. Yes, you heard me correctly, the Falkland Islands, where she would work with the local police and community to review and improve child safeguarding procedures. She's living there now and is joining me direct from her home in Stanley. Helen Taylor, welcome to the What's For Dinner show. Hello. <laughs> After three years of living in the Falkland Islands, what is it you miss most about the UK? I think I miss driving faster than 40 miles an hour, um, which is the, the highest speed limit here. So I like driving, but um, uh, I, I miss driving <laughs> properly. I like it down here that there's not crowds, the people. Yeah, it's nice and nice and quiet here. Yeah, I miss, you know, not fighting for a parking space because you can park very easily here. I miss I miss the sunshine, though, and a, a sitting, sitting outside eating. You can't really do that here very much. It's a bit too windy. So what's the population of the Falkland Islands? It fluctuates massively because um, you get a lot of contract workers coming down. Um, so that obviously swells the population. And when the tourists are here, uh, there's a lot of people sort of stay on island then to assist with all of that. So, uh, but in the winter, you know, a lot of people sort of head off to the UK for either work or sunshine. So, so it really fluctuates. But I think in the Falklands at the minute, there's just over 3,000 people, about 3,200 um, most of them resident in Stanley, you know, several hundred living out in camp, which is the sort of um, remote farmsteads outside of Stanley. Wow. Yeah, that is a small population, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really small, especially when you come down from the UK with, I don't know, what is it now, 70 odd million people. And then you come here and it's like, yeah, it's really, <laughs> really different. So if you've been there for three years, then obviously you were there during the COVID pandemic. How, how did that affect your life? Um, in the Falkland Islands and, and your ability to sort of settle down and, and, and settle into the local community? Yeah, it was a bit crazy, really, because um, obviously we could 
see the news and see this sort of developing worldwide, um, which was quite scary. But because there's only uh, flights in from either South America or on the RAF flight, there's not, you know, it's not really open to tourism sort of any other way or, or getting here any other way. We were quite cut off. So we managed to keep it out of the community. You know, if anybody came down from the, the UK, they had to go into quarantine. And obviously being a police officer, we had to kind of police that and just make sure people weren't breaking the quarantine rules. And then when it kind of got to its height, they um, they did sort of have a bit of a lockdown. But the good thing is here, where they let people exercise and because there's so few people and so much space, so, you know, people kind of, you could still go about your business and not really sort of bump into anybody or, or sort of cause any problems. So, um, yeah, they work really hard here, the medical sort of department to uh, keep COVID out. But yeah, it was a bit of an odd experience. Yeah, social distancing wasn't really uh, an issue then. Everyone is fairly distanced <laughs> most of the time anyway. Well, kind of o- over a couple of days, they did suddenly everywhere had to have screens up and, um, you know, there's all signs up saying two metre distance and that. And it was really alien, I think, for the population here because everyone is so friendly and, you know, everybody does know one another and the crime rate's really low. So you don't have like the screens in the bank and the supermarket and, you know, the sort of police station that they, they didn't really have all of that in place. So it was kind of really, you know, a bit alien to suddenly have all these screens and distancing. And it was, yeah, a little bit crazy, really. So did you experience any sort of um, shortages of, you know, food or, or provisions during that time? Yeah, um, because they have a... Um, a flight which is called the LATAM flight, which comes in from South America, mainly Chile. That brings in sort of fresh fruit and vegetables. We do have a market here, like it's called Stanley Growers, which is is a an institution. You know, they they provide all the fruit and veg normally, um, but they were really stretched, obviously, because suddenly all the fresh fruit and veg that was supplemented, you know, came in on the aeroplane. That dropped off because the plane wasn't allowed in. So suddenly there was a real, there was a dearth of sort of fresh fruit and vegetables. So, uh, well, during that period anyway, did, did you cook a lot at home or, I mean, were the sort of restaurants and cafes still operating um, in Stanley? No, because a lot of them had to shut down because of the sort of restrictions. I mean, there aren't there aren't a great many restaurants and cafes here that, that you know, there are, there are a few um, but most of them took the opportunity, I think, actually to shut down and like refurbish or something like that, you know, because people weren't going out socialising. It, was, it wasn't worth their while sort of staying open. Yeah, it, it had an impact on that. Right. But no, I didn't take the opportunity. <laughs> I'm not a great cook at home, so it didn't really change much. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, so what were your sort of pandemic meals? You know, what, what do they consist of? Oh, Lord. Um, just the usual, I suppose. I'm quite limited in my repertoire, um, so I can't blame it all on the lack of supplies, <laughs> to be honest. I can make a leek risotto and, uh, yeah, that's... That is, yeah, that's it. That's, we that's could it. just stop the interview now because <laughs> that is it. Um, leek risotto, where do I go from that? Uh, spaghetti bolognese. I can do a chili. Um, just to be honest, I don't, I'm not a very good cook. So it's kind of just the staples. Yeah, you've got the wrong person on the show if you want <laughs> no. me to list a load of recipes I've been knocked up. No, no, I was, I, I was intrigued really as to, yeah, you know, the sorts of things that, that you might be sort of cooking up. So you live with your partner. And so is that their responsibility then, the cooking? Or do you just sort of muddle along together? 
Uh, we muddle along together. We kind of play chicken, I think. Whoever's hungriest has to do the cooking <laughs> because neither of us are. It, it, we can cook, but we don't really enjoy it. We're not foodies yeah. um, in that respect. You know, I like food. Um, I like eating it, but I like being served it. I'm not. Um, I'm not a great cook. I find it a bit of a fuss. Um, but no, I'm not. Um, I'm not blessed with that. Um, being able to throw everything in a pan and something come out. You know, my house looks like it's been burgled. If I have to do any cooking, there's bits everywhere, and every pan is out the cupboard. And no, we we, we both sort of look at one another, and uh, you know, sort of hope that the other one comes up with some inspiration for <laughs> yeah for the night's dinner. <laughs> so now we have to eat, otherwise we might die. As promised, I'm going to give a shout out, a big hello to uh, a few people who shared my podcast or my social media posts. So hello to Maggie Woodbridge, to Sophie Lazelle, and also to my previous guests, Michelle Beck and Becky Wright, for continuing to support the podcast. So I was going to ask you uh, whether you use cookbooks or cooking shows to sort of give you any inspiration. Do, do any of those sorts of things help you along the way? No, to be honest, I, uh, I've i got some nice cookbooks, but purely because they look nice in my kitchen <laughs> um, for no other reason. They, they Some of them are, are well thumbed, but only on certain recipes. You know, you can sort of like hold the spine and the book will open at, you know, sort of certain recipes that are just staples. Uh, and the only time, the only sh- cooking show I ever watch is the Great British Bake Off. And that's purely because we have a, a wonderful sweepstake here where everyone draws a name out. Um, this wasn't my idea, by the way, but w- one of the uh, uh, women I work with um, came up with this. We all draw a name out. And you, the week that your person goes out of the Great British Bake Off, you then have to bake something for everyone else in the sweepstake. Uh-huh. Um, and it has to be in the theme of that week. So you just hope that Yikes. you go out in like biscuit week <laughs> yeah. or bread week yeah. and not something like Japanese week or, or um, yeah. you know, so oh the showstopper show week. Or week I know, yeah. or something made out of jelly or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, that that's an excellent idea. Yeah. Excellent idea. So uh, which ones have yeah. you um, had to deliver on? Uh, I did. Um, well, the last one was um, I know I went out on bread week and I made – Sweetbread, I made um, sticky fingered, you know, ice buns. Oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're supposed to be lovely, aren't they? But everyone's still alive who had one. So that's a win for me. Yeah. But, um, uh, and I, I can't remember what the first year was. I put it out of my memory. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Traumatic. Yeah. Maybe everybody else has as well, hey, Helen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah. an ice bun, yeah. I mean, perfect because as long as you put a sufficient thickness of icing on the top, you can kind of get away with anything, can't you? That was my theory in time yeah yeah so you you, yeah. you mentioned earlier that there's not that many places to eat in stanley i did do a little google i hope this place actually exists but it mentioned somewhere called the waterfront kitchen cafe is that somewhere that's familiar oh, yes yeah well that's rated number one on TripAdvisor. oh okay interesting yeah to be honest there's uh, there's a few little places and um, but yeah no i can recommend the waterfront is lovely but there are other places available in Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> so you've you've probably eaten in them all. At- yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so any, any particular memorable meals? I must admit that the waterfront does a marvelous New York strip steak where you get steak and and randomly on an egg on it, but it just oh, yeah. it, it works. It works for me. So that's um yeah, that's really lovely. And I have to mention the Malvina Hotel. That does um 
I'm not a great fish eater, but uh, they do Patagonian toothfish sort of fillets. Um, and I had a nice meal there once at the Malvina. So that was that's the sort of uh, the name of the hotel. So that's right. yeah, that was nice. And I got to put it out there that the Stanley Arms, the Stanley Arms, does the best pizza in the world. <laughs> in the I'm world, just it out there, right? Good, best good. pizza in the world. In the, yes, I'm saying that. <laughs> Coming up, Helen and I recall domestic science lessons and ponder the challenges of healthy eating when working shifts. If you're enjoying the What's For Dinner show, remember to also check out my previous episodes, such as the one where I talked to Instagrammer Maddie Dampier. What's kind of funny, and I bet if my mum is listening to the podcast, she'd be giggling right now, is that when I was younger, I, li- I would only eat baked beans. And the fact that, I, if you have a look on Melon's meals, there's so much vegetables exotic ingredients like so much color and the fact that that all came from a little girl that would only eat baked beans is quite something really so am am i right in thinking that you're returning to the uk this coming autumn yes not long now and i shall be uh, heading back to the uk yeah okay so in terms of um food then what will be the first thing you reach for on the supermarket shelves that you've you've missed out on i think probably an avocado you play a bit of a lottery here with the avocados you know it's a bit hit and miss just to get a fresh one of those would be be very nice stanley growers here do a wonderful job really um you know keeping everyone you know topped up with fruit and veg through the year in some really trying conditions you know weather conditions they they it's amazing but i think the thing I miss most is, yeah, good old Devon pasty. <laughs> <laughs> Devon pasty or a Cornish pasty? Mm. Well, <laughs> controversial, isn't it? I'm from Devon, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I have to say a Devon pasty, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll let the Cornish have, have some credit for them, yeah. <laughs> so I think now, Helen, is probably um, a good time to reveal that we both grew up in the same town, which is the lovely Brixham in South Devon. We did. I've got quite strong memory of sitting in your bedroom surrounded by football posters and you telling me about various players. Am I right in thinking it was Liverpool that was your team? It, well, obviously Torquay United. Was the, uh, <laughs> they, were, know, uh, they came first but, um, in everyone's heart. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Torquay United and Liverpool. And um, yeah, they both sort of stuck with me throughout thick and thin really. So yeah. So I was de- I was looking at Liverpool's cup winning history and trying to sort of search out when Kevin Keegan was playing for them. So I think we're talking sort of 75, that kind of era when Liverpool was sort of, you know, at their peak. Yeah, I think so. 70, certainly 77, wasn't it? 75, mm. 76, 77. Yeah, it would have been around then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going to reveal our age. No, now, I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> we were tiny then. We were like babes in arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was also remembering that you were allowed to play football with the boys during PE lessons. And in the light of the kind of recent, um, you know, successes of the, the women's uh, football team, it kind of made me think how, if I if my memory is correct, that was actually quite a radical move by the school at the time. Yeah, it was actually at the primary school, and I, yeah, and I, I, it was funny. I was having this conversation with my parents just recently because I, I kind of thank. Well, I did thank them because I still treasure. They bought me a Liverpool football shirt 
which was which was a big thing, you know, back then for sort of girls to, you know, have a like proper football shirt. Yeah, I did play at um, at primary school, so you know when I did sort of play, they um, accepted it, and like I say, probably a shout out that um, you know the school did did help me, you know, because I've, I've played for many years, you know, I've retired now gracefully, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I played for many years, and and the school did uh, the school did support me in that, you know, in those times. So yeah. In fact, I played in the five-a-side here the um, couple of months ago, actually, for the police team here in Stanley. So, uh, and I scored. You'll oh, be pleased good, to know. Good. So, so I haven't let my standards drop. So, um, how would you describe, you know, the food that you ate growing up? Oh, it was really, you know, I, I was blessed. Really, my mum and dad, you know, they, um, you know, really good home cooking. You know, mum and dad had a bed and breakfast, so there was always plenty of food at all times to sort of feed the guests and you know feed me if I was hungry so Friday night was the one night we were allowed a sort of tv dinner as mum would call it and we were allowed sort of I don't know crispy pancakes and things like that which you know was it was a I I saw it as a treat but my mum just thought they were you know laden with salt and they weren't good for us but they were a treat and it wouldn't kill us so we were allowed to have it (laughs) absolutely so you're talking about the Findus crispy pancake Oh, is there any others? Is there any others? In, in my a little image has popped up <laughs> yeah. in my mind of like a, something that's a sort of a half circle shaped kind of crimped around the edges, a bit like a yeah, bit like a pasty, pasty shape, Helen. So I think there's something going on there. <laughs> it's a throwback. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, they were well, they were entirely that, weren't they? Yeah, mm. they were just like a pancake, you know, sort of in half with breadcrumbs, and then a sort of like. I don't know, chicken, chicken bacon or yeah. something. You're making me feel hungry now just talking about it. <laughs> so did your mum sort of try to encourage you to cook or teach you any of her sort of cooking skills? Were you interested in that when you were younger? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, she has tried throughout her life and she's, my mum's still going strong. And uh, even now I will, you know, be talking to her and then I'll say like, oh, I had a really nice um you know, beef stroganoff in the restaurant the other day. I was like, and she'll go, oh, well, it's really easy to cook. And then she'll proceed to tell me how to cook it. And I'm like, mum, don't waste your time. <laughs> yeah, she still thinks I can make a pie and pastry at the drop of a hat, but I can't. So, oh. yeah, yeah. She's, ne- she's never going to give up, though, bless her. No, no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, of course, this brings us to domestic science lessons. So I feel like you should know how to make pastry because we must have learned that in domestic science classes, Helen. I'd, all I remember is that our teacher sat and watched Wimbledon <laughs> while we were given. Do you remember that? She, but, she would, um, uh, yeah, she would watch Wimbledon while we were given a task to make um, a skirt, or we were, you know, had to do cooking or whatever mm. it was. Because because one term was sort of cooking and one term was sewing, sewing or yeah, wasn't yeah. It? And um, yeah, I think I was still making a cake when everyone else was making the skirt, and I was still <laughs> making the skirt when everyone else was making the cake. I did to this day wake up in a cold sweat about kedgeree and things like that. So yeah, crazy times. I know I was mortified when I didn't pass my domestic science O level, uh, which is very annoying. Oh, did you know? No, no, I made some kind of ridiculous error on choosing the wrong ingredient or something it didn't fit the the criteria of the question but the sewing side of things for me was always an absolute disaster and as you know my father is a tailor so I was always I was always quite a big disappointment in that regard (laughs) (laughs) although um, although he did get so annoyed with me all the time that he would just sew the skirt for me so I probably had top marks in the in the sewing 
side of things but it, it none of it was is me is there an admission there then yeah yeah is there an admission there then that none of that and I always used to think after all these years that you were a genius <laughs> at, at making things no I mean you must have left home at 16 then did you to go and train as a police officer god yeah doing the maths now mm. yeah so I was 18 yeah I went um, I joined the police cadets and then, um, yeah, to join the police straight after that. So I, I did my A-levels locally at South Devon Technical mm. College. And um, then I went from there, I joined the police cadets. Um, and then that was up in the Metropolitan Police. And then I just joined the Metropolitan Police after that um, to see if I liked it. And then, yeah, stayed up there. And so how do you did you find combining that kind of training and, and work with, with cooking your own meals for the first time and being away from home? Yeah, I was, I mean, so for the the year I was a police cadet, you got given all your, your meals. Then when I went to, um, I started out at Hackney Police Station in, in East London, and we lived in what was called a section house, which was kind of like a hotel sort of hostel for police officers. But they had a canteen there. So you just ate in the canteen, you didn't cook any of your own food. Um, and there was a canteen at the police station, so you'd eat at the police station. Good portions, I remember, you know, lots of chips, things like that. Um, and they were really, you know, really lovely, the cooks. They would, you know, if, if they knew you were coming back late to the section house, things like that, they'd leave a meal out for you to heat up and, and things like that. So, you know, it wasn't, it, it probably wasn't the most balanced diet because you'd kind of eat it at all odd hours, do you know what I mean? Mm. So when you're working shifts, that's the worst thing. You You come back in and you'd eat a meal and then you'd be tired like you'd go to sleep after just eating a big dinner or you know trying to get something to eat in the early hours of the morning you know there was never in those days there was you know there wasn't the 24-hour supermarkets available now where you can get something quite healthy sort of a few kebab shops etc mm. open yeah, yeah that's a, a dodgy kebab <laughs> shop on hackney high street <laughs> on your way home so yeah yeah well there were some dodgy ones and there were some good ones <laughs> yeah. and you, you knew which ones to go to but um god I dread to think you know what calories I ate and what you know rubbish I ate in those days yeah so in your experience then that kind of working pattern isn't really conducive to a sort of a healthy the diet um like I say certainly not back then because if you were organized or you sort of lived at if people lived at home etc they could bring a packed lunch in etc but the rest of us we would have to you know buy something and yeah it wasn't wasn't that healthy um and also you're just eating at all the wrong times you know and then you're going home and sleeping and you know it's it's not a healthy lifestyle to be honest but it must have had an effect on on your attitude to to food so do you blame that on 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 sort of the fact that you're not that into cooking now i would love to blame it on that (laughs) and then i've worked with some people though who are genius cooks Mm. and absolutely love it so i don't know you know they work the same shifts and have done for a while so I, I do feel that I can't actually lay the blame entirely on shift work but but looking back now I think I've eaten some rubbish you know during my my sort of you know those years. Would you describe yourself as a dieter at any point in your in your life you know where you've sort of tried to lose weight or sort of change the way that you've you've been eating? No not really um I I do remember that the whole of the station I worked at at the time went on that do you remember there was that cabbage soup and potato diet hideous but the whole station or, or certainly my my shift did it for a week or what have you <laughs> no, apart awesome. from a dreadful smell around the station I don't think anyone lost any weight to be honest I think that's probably the only diet I've ever been on and that was because there was a group of us doing it I'm not 
yeah, I can't stick to diet. So do you worry about your health? Um, well, no, touch wood, I am healthy. I'm, I do, you know, I'm quite good at eating uh, my, you know, fruit and vegetables. I am aware of the science behind it and what I should be eating. So there are occasions when I eat well and I do try and keep to that. But I, you know, I am a snacker. There's no no getting away from it. You know, I get a little bit of a salt craving and I'm like, oh, I've got to have some peanuts. I know I should lose some weight, but mm. I kind of just fortunate that I don't have any sort of health issues. Yeah, I kind of, you know, I, I, I'm a great believer in, you know, everything sort of in moderation, <laughs> a little bit of yeah, what you yeah, fancy and things like that yeah. is, you know, is quite healthy. Um, I'm just a stereotypical detective. I do have a sort of like drawer full of snacks, you know, so just because you never know where you're going to have to work through the night and there's nothing worse than not having any snacks about if you're stuck at the station, you know. So, yeah, I've learned that. Okay, well, thank you, Helen. It's been lovely chatting to you. Now it's time for Nugget of Knowledge. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael O'Halloran, partner in crime, so to speak. And for this episode, our topic is... Chickpeas. We talked in a previous episode, Michael, about how much we loved a chickpea. If you remember, they were part of Madeline's Meals Tuscan artichoke salad that I made and you taste tested on the show when Maddie was the guest. I sure do. Yeah, it tastes great. So I thought we'd take a closer look at this humble ingredient. Yeah, I, um, I've been eating chickpeas for longer than I care to remember now. So it'd be nice to learn a little bit more about them. There's two main varieties of chickpeas. One is a larger, round, light-coloured one called, Mm -hmm. I think it's called a kabuli. Kabuli. That's the one I think most people would be familiar with, I guess, is it? I think so, yeah. It's common in America and and in Europe. But there's also a smaller, dark, irregularly shaped desai type, which Mm. is more common in India and the Middle East, apparently. Okay. I'm not sure I've had them then. Uh, well, I guess we may have had them, but we might not have recognised them, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe when we were okay. in India. So, yeah, two types, Desai and Kabuli. The Desai one has more of a, a rough kind of coat, whereas, as you say, the Kabuli is, is a smoother-skinned yeah. item. Classic chickpea. Classic chickpea. It's a, a key ingredient in Mediterranean and Middle Eastern cuisine, of course, used probably mm-hmm. most popularly in hummus. Yeah. And also in falafel, which I think is made from a chickpea flour. And in Spain, what do you know what they're called in Spain? No, I have no idea. No, they're called gabanzo ah. or the gabanzo bean in Spain. Okay. I do hope I'm pronouncing these things correctly. But anyway, mm. well, gabanzo. You've probably got the Z wrong, no doubt. Oh, do you think so? Is Z said differently in Spanish then? Probably. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Um, and it, obviously it's important in Indian cuisine. You know, you have chana masala, um, you know, it's used in curries and soups. And when it's ground to flour in India, it's known as gram flour. Um, And so we've had that whenever I've made cauliflower pakoras or Indian bhajis. India is the biggest producer of chickpeas worldwide. 70%. 70%. Yeah. It's it's one of the um, earliest cultivated uh, legumes, and we'll come on to legumes in a minute. There's nine and a half thousand year old chickpea remains 
have been found in the Middle East. Remains of chickpeas. Yeah, I guess probably in a jar or something like that. Found huddled together in a jar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, one of the oldest references to chickpeas appear in early recordings. Um, I don't know what that means. Maybe it means wall paintings or whatever they call them, wall art, cave art, um, in Turkey, about 3,500 BC, and in France, about 6,000 BC. Wow. So they've been around a long time. Yeah, I don't suppose they were, you know, excavating burial grounds for the chickpeas, were they? But as you say, there's there's probably evidence to suggest that they were, you know, uh, a part of the society at that point, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if they were a member of the society, but... People used to eat them. <laughs> I don't know how much the chickpeas. How active they would have been <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in the local debate, debates. Yeah, I don't know. On, yeah, uh, running the council, and such like. Um, so, I, I mean, chickpeas. So obviously they're called chickpeas. Some people might refer to them as a bean, and other people refer to them as legumes. Mm, I've never met anyone who refers to them as a legume. Well, you're not mixing in the right circles of That's foodie right. people. Well, I don't know. Maybe legumes is a is a new word, not a new word, but a sort of a word that's become more used nowadays. Yeah, I'm a more kind of a bean sort of guy, I reckon. Yeah, peas yeah. and beans. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always been a bit confused about the difference between legumes, pulses, beans and peas. Go on then, tell me. Um, so I had a little dig around on the internet. So a legume is a plant. Apparently there's over 20,000 different legume species and they are a nutritious staple of diets around the world. So that's the plant form. They then tend to have pods and beans and peas and things like that. And that would be technically the pulse is the edible seed of a legume plant. Okay. So in the case of a chickpea, that's the pulse? Yeah. So that would be the edible part of the chickpea legume. Yeah. Yeah. So a legume refers to the plant and would include its leaves, stems and pods. The plants produce edible seeds that are called pulses. Pulses include beans, lentils and peas. Okay, that makes sense. Does that make sense now? So that's cleared that one up, hopefully. Um, They are a nutritious staple in diets, you know, everywhere, all, all around the world. An inexpensive source of protein, vitamins, complex carbohydrates and fibre. Right. So they're a pretty good... All rounder. All rounder, yeah. For the diet. And I guess as we've started to eat more of these things, I guess that's where the word legume has come into play. You know, it's become more sophisticated about what we understand okay. about this right. type of yeah. plant. Or maybe it's just that restaurants prefer to describe them in a bit more eloquent language. Maybe. So maybe it's elitism. Yes. Possibly. Would you like legumes with that? Legumes instead of just peas. Um, the entire legume plant... I guess, minus the edible bits that they can sell, um, are often used in agricultural applications. So, oh, I see. Uh, so livestock an, feed, feed right? yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, things yeah. like that. Or as cover crops, which I think must mean, you know, when they are, you know, growing something. Undercover. Undercover. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This, I'm, I'm losing track of what... Trade? Yeah. I just don't... I don't know what I'm talking about now, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I was intrigued by and i thought you might be interested in is that you can use chickpeas as a coffee substitute what do you think about that Mm, i don't know i'm not sure about that not convinced no no there's a reason why coffee is so popular and not chickpeas 
<laughs> as a drink. As a drink, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's intriguing because if you don't want to have caffeine in your coffee, then obviously you can buy decaffeinated coffee yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you could also make decaffeinated coffee out of chickpeas, and apparently it's very nice. Really? Mm. There's um, a brand called Back to Nature. They do a chickpea coffee substitute powder, and they apparently they've been used as a caffeine-free alternative to coffee for centuries. Wow. I've never heard that. Yeah, I know. I'd never heard it either, really. Um, Generally, I think it's when a country or a community fall on hard times um, and they can't afford or can't find coffee. Chickpea coffee is cut into coffee to make it go further. There's a theme emerging here. There is a bit. The the chickpea is cut into the coffee. Yeah, yeah. It acts as a cover. Well, coffee is a drug. So, you know, I'm using the right terminology, I think. Yeah. Um, And if they can't get hold of coffee at all, then it's a substance that can, you know, scratch the itch of wanting to have a cup of coffee. Right, okay, Um, but never quite, yeah. Yeah, probably like having any decaf, I I imagine. I don't know. I've never had decaf and I've only recently got into coffee, so I'm not a good... Okay, yeah. Good yeah. person to, to yeah. be talking about that. Um, there's an article from a few years ago now, but in the Miami Times, May 2011, um, saying that one example of this happening is in Cuba. So the state um, produced coffee was cut with roasted chickpea beans, uh, yeah. you know, ground down into a sort of a, a powder to make it la- last longer and meet demand. Right, and okay. then in, apparently in 2005, you could pretty much only get pure chickpea coffee. Um, so people mix it with various kinds of milk, sugar, flavourings, you know, like cinnamon and so on and so forth to make it more more palatable. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting Well, we'll have to try it. Will you? Good luck. Yeah. Well, next time we fall on hard times. Yeah. 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 <laughs> could be, could be sooner I, I'll just think. go back to cups of tea, I think. <laughs> <laughs> The other intriguing thing about chickpeas is the liquid that you get chickpeas in. So when you open the can of chickpeas and you put them in the sieve to, yeah, yeah. to drain them off, the liquid is actually a really good egg substitute. So people who are vegans, yeah. you know, they are probably very familiar with using it in cooking. It's called aquafaba. Sounds um, like a yeah. It's a sort of a sounds like a what? Pretty trendy. Mm, it sounds like a sprouting some aquafaba a sprouting bean or something <laughs> one of those future foods that yeah, we've yeah, discussed yeah, yeah. before yeah, um but refreshing. it's quite it's quite a thick liquid containing a mix of starch and just really trace amounts of of protein but it's got like a sort of binding and thickening property okay. yeah so you can use it instead of eggs in a cake in cookies yeah. and also in meringues and mayonnaise. So in the spirit of kind of not wanting to waste food, yeah. mm. then it might be worth holding on to it and making a meringue, although I'm rubbish at making meringues. so Yeah, so we'd find it probably tucked away in the fridge six months later. Yeah, probably yeah. with a bit of mould on the top. Yeah, yeah. So basically one tablespoon of aquafaba equals one egg yolk. Two tablespoons equals one egg white. And therefore three tablespoons equals... 
Not a real egg. A whole egg. Wow. <laughs> the the, uh, the Vegan Society website also um, flags up chocolate mousse and ice cream as other things you could do with aquafaba. Oh. And my favourite little tip, which I will be trying, is, um, you know, if you make a cocktail and it needs to have a sort of fluffy egg yeah, yeah, top yeah, on it, yeah. you can use aquafaba instead. Oh, right, okay. Which wow. is ideal because, you know, you only use the egg white when you do one of those cocktails. And then you're left with the egg yeah, yolk. Yeah, yeah. It's a waste, really. It's a bit it? of a, can be a waste. Yeah. Wow, aquafarba, it'll change your life. It will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Shall we run through the nutritional benefits just quickly again? Go on then. So, excellent source of carbohydrate, protein, fibre, B vitamins and minerals. Um, they have a very low glycemic index, um, which means that they are very useful for people who are diabetic. Uh-huh. They okay. prevent sudden surges in blood sugar level and insulin right, levels. Okay. So help control yeah. blood sugar. Excellent for gut flora. They contain a soluble fiber, um, which is fermented in the colon and becomes bifidobacterium. That's yeah. an all-round good thing. Cool. So that's that's good. And obesity. Um, now, chickpeas hope, help to promote a feeling of fullness. So again, yeah, you yeah, you can help. So they're that in that sense, they can weight help. Control and, yeah, with yeah. weight control and, and dieting. Tra-la. So, so it's yeah, it's great, um, but also just tastes good. They do taste good, and in a minute we're going to taste test. Are we some chickpeas? But first of all, let's okay. just have a little. In fact, no, let's do that now. Okay. No, I didn't. This is a surprise, actually. So what we've got here, Michael, are four different um, types. Of or four different varieties of chickpea snack. They're made by a company called Brave, mm-hmm. and I bought them in a well-known supermarket. I haven't seen these before. So no, they're relatively new on the scene. They might be. They were in the sort of vegany kind of corner of the vegan, of the, corner. vegan corner of the supermarket. It's a bit disparaging. <laughs> it yeah. is a bit disparaging, but that you know where they have all the sort of yeah, yeah. more innovative. It's been there for nine thousand years. Yeah, more innovative products, but haven't been existing for 9,000 years covered in dark chocolate. No, which looks interesting. So we've got four to taste test here. We're going to do sweet... No, we're going to do savoury first, I think. Okay, yeah. So first of all, um, have a taste of that one and tell me what you think. What's this? Well, you taste it and see if you can guess what it is. Mm, It's kind of um, smoky. Mm, Quite nice. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't taste like a chickpea. To be it doesn't honest. actually. It tastes more like a kind of a, not a crisp, but that kind of product. It's so kind of be a nice snack with a with a chilled with a beer. beer. Yeah, it's Absolutely. a bit. It's like a halfway between a crisp mm. and a breadstick. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So yeah, I can see myself. Yeah, give them back. No. <laughs> I can so, see myself tucking into them with a nice Put them down. Beer. You've got three this different hot weather. Three different flavors to try. Mm. So that one is smoky barbecue. 132 calories per portion. What's a portion? Well, it's probably not enough, I'd imagine. Uh, 30 grams, I suspect, although I can't read it upside down on the packet. Um, Seven grams of protein, five grams of fiber. So, yeah, pretty tasty. Mm. Try the next one. What's it taste like? Mm. Yeah, that's your classic kind of salted crisp, is it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, they're just a plain sea salt. I think I prefer the barbecue. I do like both, I think. They they would work a treat as a bar snack. Out of those two, I prefer the smoky barbecue. That'd be right. mine. I could go with either. You go with either. Mm. Okay, so that's the savoury. What about 
the sweet ones. Okay. So try try that one. So this is obviously chocolate. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah, I don't feel as if I'm being very helpful because it's it's a chocolate-covered chickpea and I could... <laughs> you could eat those I as well. I could eat those as well. Well, this is, this is all good. Let me it's try. It's nice and crunchy, actually. Yeah. They're, they're crunchier than the savoury alternative, I would say. Mm-hmm. They're mm, good, though. Quite nice. They are good. You can also have those on um, ice cream. Yeah, that'd be nice, actually. Mm, those are like a topping. Yeah, we've got some ice cream. We have. See, yeah. now I can, could eat those. They're lovely. Yeah. And weirdly, they've got less calories than the other two. Really? Not a lot. 129 calories per portion. Whereas okay. the other two are 132 and 136. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't think that, mm, would you? Be the f- and it's dark chocolate, mm. of course, and we all know dark chocolate's good for you. Well, that's what they say. Okay, what about this one? Okay, this is so the last one. What have we got here? So the there's a chocolatey one. Yeah, two different colours, so try one of each. Mm. That's, uh, it feels like more of a milk chocolate than a white chocolate. I think. Which is, again, a bit sweeter. Oh, good. These are all good. Well, these are, these are called cookies and cream. Ah, okay. And one is they white chocolate. They are really good snack food. They like, are good yeah. snack foods. And let's face it, they're probably not healthy, but they're... Less bad for you than a, a bag of crisps, perhaps. Yeah, I guess so. I think they'd be more filling than a bag of crisps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The only downside, they weren't cheap. Ah, okay. So I would say that they were about £2.40 for a pack. Oh, that's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So they need to improve on that somehow. Mm, but then maybe, you know, if more people ate them, mm. then they would. Uh, the price would come down. Yeah, yeah. So that feels like a bit of a luxury snack then? Mm, yeah, definitely. I'm just looking at the back of the packet here. The chocolate one. So let's look at the dark chocolate one. 65% less sugar than a chocolate bar. Four grams of gut-loving fibre. Right. And stay fuller for longer. So they are, you know, yeah. promoting it. So, yeah, only for the more well-off amongst us. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not something that you'd be buying regularly, is it really, at that price no because i think you could easily woof your way through one bag yeah relatively quickly yeah and even though crisps have gone up they're twice the price yeah mm. yeah so you need to eat half as many yeah. good okay good thank but, you for tasting those michael yeah, no um, i'll carry on we're impressed if, if you don't mind but they're a bit expensive yeah um so last but not least i just was going to uh run through some other uses of hummus uh, not hummus of chickpeas obviously in hummus Making your own hummus is so easy. I think more people should do it. It's got to be better than the stuff you buy in the supermarket ready-made, which can be yeah. a bit sloppy and a bit bleh, can't it? And I also like Jamie Oliver's smashed chickpeas recipe, uh, which doesn't need tahini. Um, and I've also tried making Otto Lenghi's hummus from a book that he has called The Test Kitchen, which uh, was a bit of a faff, although probably worth it. He wants you to remove the thin skin that surrounds the chickpea. I bet that's a good job. Yeah. yeah. But it does give you a much smoother right, okay. hummus. So it did taste lovely, but yeah, a bit of a, a faff. You had to sort of put, yeah. tip the chickpeas onto a dry tea towel and then put another tea towel on top and kind of rub them together. That's and then the skins kind of fall off. But obviously you've got to pick them all off, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you've got to have a lot of time on your hands. For that. Yeah. Yeah. And be a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, so other things we've had chickpeas with uh, chicken and chickpea tagine uh, falafels we've mentioned chana dal we've mentioned cauliflower and chickpea curry we've mm-hmm, had before 
the Italians use chickpeas in pasta dishes. So the Italian word for chickpea is... Ceci. Ceci, thank you. And I did find in one of uh, my cookbooks a very interesting dish that involves ordinary, you know, boiled pasta, so dried pasta cooked, and then combined with dry pasta that's been fried in olive oil. And then it's combined with a tomato sauce that uses aquafaba Uh liquid and then has chickpeas on top. So my recommendation to the world in general is embrace the chickpea. Yeah, yeah. And my, well, my new word of the day is, guess. Aquafaba. Aquafaba. Embrace the future. And chechi. 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 Arrivederci. (laughs) My little chechi. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Michael. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Before I go, just a little reminder that if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. You can share an episode from your podcast player or from my website, or you can easily share one of my social media posts on Instagram or Facebook. If you're kind enough to share an episode, I'll give you a personal shout out on the show to say thank you. What more could you ask for? Thanks in advance for helping me spread the word about my podcast. Bye. Thank you to Rick Simmons from the Content Podcast podcast for his help and advice. And thank you to Pixel Bay for the music.